Hey there, folks. Matt Hunsaker here for the State Tax Show. Today, Mike Sims drops into the studio to talk about developments in alternative apportionment. I've got a bit of a treat for you today. Last week, I sat down with the famous Mike Sims in our Philadelphia office to talk about a recent case out of Maryland. That would be the Lafayette Pharmaceuticals versus Comptroller of Maryland. And this is a case that deals with the age-old question of agency deference on alternative apportionment. Here is our discussion. Hey, Mike. Welcome back to the podcast. How are things going in Philly? Oh, thanks very much, Matt. It's great to be back as always. And things in Philadelphia are just fine. The Sixers have won the first round of the playoffs and the city's very happy right now. Awesome. Well, hey, we wanted to maybe talk about a case that's come out of the Court of Special Appeals of Maryland involving alternative apportionment. So what's going on down there? Yeah, Matt, this this case is um, a little disturbing to me, and, and I'll explain to you why. But the taxpayer filed its original returns. The taxpayer is in the business of designing, manufacturing, distributing, and selling medical devices. And, and actually, the taxpayer is a bunch of corporations that are partners in a partnership, but nobody disputed that. And they filed their original return using the three-factor double-weighted sales formula. And then on audit, without any reason uh, or justification, the comptroller issued an assessment of two point some million dollars by moving them to the single sales factor because they don't have any manufacturing facilities or physical plant in Maryland, of course, that increased their apportionment to Maryland. And on appeal, the taxpayer argued that, the, A, the, the three-factor double-weighted sales was appropriate, and B, that the uh, comptroller didn't justify its move to the alternative apportionment, which, when you think about it, the party generally who is asserting alternative apportionment, should have the burden of proof. And the court said, yeah, that's you're right. The comptroller does have the burden of proof. And the, the, uh, once the comptroller has chosen an alternative apportion method, and I'm quoting from the uh, opinion here, the, the court said, once the comptroller has chosen an alternative apportion method, the taxpayer now has the burden to show that the method selected is unfair. And I don't think anybody disagrees with that part of it. However, the issue that I have is uh, when the the court says, and this is, like you said, the Maryland Special Court of Appeals, that here, the comp, this is, again, quoting from, from the opinion here, the, com- the comptroller provided that its reason for selecting a different apportionment method was due to its belief that the activity of manufacturing instead of the entity type should determine the formula and that therefore 
the the single sales factor would more clearly reflect income attributable to Maryland. And and I just find that disturbing because the fact that they shift the burden of proof based on the comptroller's belief that the entity type, the activity, should um, uh, d- determine the the the, uh, the apportionment method. And, and, and there again, I'm not so bothered by that, but it just says that the comptroller would more the believes that it would more clearly reflect the income attributed to Maryland, and this, uh, so it's it's very disturbing because it it seems like the comptroller just has to believe, uh, which is subjective, that its method is a fairer reflection of the business activity in the state, and all of a sudden now the the taxpayer has the burden of of proof, which I don't think is an insurmountable burden, but I just think it it. That the the comptroller should have to put forth more than its belief. So yeah. that, I find that disturbing, and it reminds me of the Equifax decision in Mississippi from several years ago, and that was followed by a legislative change. But there, under the Mississippi statute, if I remember that case correctly, and I think I do, the uh, the statute said that soon as the department issues an assessment, the burden, and no matter what is basis, and even if there is no basis, the burden shifts to the taxpayer. And the legislature changed the statute to say, no, the the department has to set forth evidence to support its assessment. And that's what's lacking here, and that's what I find troublesome. I don't know what you think about the the case. Yeah, well, what I thought was interesting about this, just taking a step back, is this is not an unusual fact pattern. I mean, we have corporations that have interest in a partnership and mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's just a pretty plain vanilla arrangement. And I think that in this case, it, it was the result that was objectionable and not that there was some sort of systemic failure in how the apportionment rules operated here. I, I totally uh, agree with you. And, and it, it's, it's also, I think, um, I don't want to say disingenuous, but I, I think it's a somewhat faulty logic that the court relies on Thor Power Tool, uh, Supreme Court of the United States case, for the proposition that the comptroller has wide discretion and broad powers to select an alternative apportionment method, which you know, again, I wouldn't dispute that as a general concept, but just setting forth a subjective belief to justify that seems to me um, arbitrary and capricious, if you will. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, I uh, I may have stronger views than you do on this, but I've always found it troubling that a state can assert alternative apportionment and then have that burden of proof go to the taxpayer. So here you have a taxpayer who's following Mm -hmm. the letter of the law. The state comes in and says, well, we subjectively don't think that this is the right apportionment, so we're going to change it and now prove us wrong. And that's why I've been uh, very pleased. I, I think with the general trend that I've seen in states like Mississippi after Equifax, with taking the more reasonable approach that if a party, whether it be the taxpayer or whether it be the state, that they have, if they are the ones that are asserting that 
there's a problem with the apportionment factor that requires alternative apportionment, well, they're the ones that should have the burden of proof. And so I, I'm pleased to see uh, states like Mississippi and others who have taken that approach. And uh, I keep thinking of UDIPA as a recent amendment, but I guess it was back in 2015 that uh, you know the, the MTC proposed revisions to UDIPA that would essentially, by statute, if it's adopted by a state, push the burden of proof to the taxpayer if the taxpayer is requesting it or to the state if the state's suggesting that it's appropriate and that those burdens of proof be identical. That just seems to be good policy to me. I, I totally agree with you, Matt. And that would be a level playing field. Each party has the same burden, the same required level of proof. And, and uh, if you apply that to this case, you know, I think Let's see, if the taxpayer wanted alternative apportionment and argued that it was entitled to alternative apportionment because of its subjective belief that another formula more clearly reflected its activity in the state, they'd Heck. probably get laughed out of court. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think that taking a look at alternative apportionment more broadly, I think I've seen so many situations that if I might be so bold, I consider abusive where states have, you know, they don't have the tool of mandatory combination. And so they turn to alternative apportionment as a method to get, uh, to, to get entities combined. Or uh, another example I've seen lately is, uh, and you know, this may very well have been the Equifax case as well, where, the state doesn't like the result of cost of performance uh, for the sales factor. And so they just say, hey, we'll use marketplace sourcing instead, and that gives a better result. And so it it seems like states where the legislature hasn't given the revenue collectors these tools are are using alternative apportionment kind of as a back door to access these tools that the legislature hasn't given them yet. Yes, I, I agree with you, Matt. Well, Mike, thanks so much for joining today. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff in the world of alternative apportionment and probably many more things to come down the road. Thanks very much for having me, as always. Always a pleasure to talk with you. All right, good luck with your Sixers. Thanks again to Mike for sharing his insights. I'll be back next Monday with a new episode. Until then, have yourselves a great week. The State Tax Show Podcast is produced by Baker and Hostetler, LLP, and is for informational purposes only. It is intended to inform our clients and other friends of the firm about current legal developments of general interest. Issues discussed should not be construed as legal advice, and listeners should not act upon the information contained in this podcast without professional counsel. In some jurisdictions, this podcast may constitute attorney advertising. Please visit BakerLaw.com for more information about our practices and experience.